Happy New Year and welcome to Energy in 30. We'll use the next 30 minutes to explore how utilities and the industry are reacting to forces that are shaping new offerings for customers in order to meet decarbonization goals. If you're a utility manager, consultant, technology provider, or just curious about energy, we hope to push your thinking about the changes that are happening in the energy industry with me, David Meisegeier. And me, Joan Collins. And David, welcome back. You were just on a trip to Cambodia and Thailand. Did you have a good time? I was, and I did. Thank you. Yeah, it was um, the first time I've been to that part of the world, and it was just amazing. The, the people were so nice. The food was good. And you can get massages there for $5 an hour. And these are like seriously good massages. So um, my wife and I enjoyed, I think, five of them while we were over there. It was awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, what about you? What did you do over the holidays? Well, nothing not uh, fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say it was great to get together with family and friends. Um, I'm just so enjoying the, those gatherings even more than I did before. So, um, so that was, that was really great. And I don't know, it just all went by so fast, it seems like, and here we are into 2023, which I can't believe. Um, and I'm just really excited. We're continuing this conversation, David. I just so enjoyed doing this with you last year and I'm looking forward to what, what comes um, here this year. I, I am really glad that you came up with the idea and encouraged me to go through with it because uh, it's been a lot of fun. And returning to the podcast today, we're thrilled to have and welcome back ICFers Erica Larson, who manages regulatory affairs and market development, and Justin Rogers, who's a senior director of energy business development. And we've also invited Mike Jung to join us on this one. He serves as the founding executive director of ICF's Climate Center which is a resource hub for knowledge and insights on climate mitigation, resilience, and adaptation. He's public policy expert with more than 25 years of experience in the industry, uh, along with public service and clean technology uh, sector work. So welcome to all three of you. Thanks, great to be here. <laughs> So great to have you guys on. We are thrilled to have you and we wanted to start the year off with something fun. So thank you again for coming with your industry knowledge um, and your predictions, which is going to be so much fun. Um, predictions about the trends that each of you think we'll see as the IRA and the IIJA. Um, and we'll, we'll put in the notes what those stand for begin to take shape. And before we get into 2023 predictions, let's do a quick round on what makes you guys most excited about these groundbreaking bills. Why don't we start with Mike? Well, first, let me uh, thank you guys uh, for having this podcast, having me on this podcast. Uh, I've been listening to it for a long time because uh, I uh, use it as a great way to get to know ICF before I joined. Um, and I also um, have learned a lot from it. So you guys do a great job and I'm really uh, honored to be here and glad to be part of the ICF team. Um, in terms of the, the, the IRA and IJA, uh, or the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, uh, as we jokingly call it in the company, sometimes uh, uh, Crazy Uncle Bill and Ira, um, it sort of feels like we've been partying hard, we've been couch surfing for way too long, 
But finally, you know, we're sobering up, we're, you know, battening down the hatches, and we've mustered up the wherewithal to make a down payment uh, to begin construction on a house of our own. Uh, it's a monumental first step uh, to reinvent our energy infrastructure, uh, both on the supply and demand fronts, uh, to be climate compatible finally, uh, and to do it with an eye towards equity. I'm really, you know, this is what we've been working on for decades, my lifetime. Uh, and I'm really excited to be here uh, as a part of the, uh, the 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 generation that gets to implement this. Oh, I love that. It's so you capture it really great. How about you, Erica? What do you what do you think and what what's jazzing you up about this? Yeah, I, I definitely I don't agree with that, but I also feel like it's not, you know, it, it's like a house that we, we don't necessarily have the blueprint for, maybe, you know, it, we've got a lot of money, like more money than we've ever had. We have some direction on what to do with it, but there's still so much to fill in. And I think it's going to be filled in by, you know, individual utilities making plans, by nonprofits, by states. It's going to really be informed by the passion of people that are in this industry, um, which makes it a really exciting time to be in this industry, to be a part of that. So that's that's what's got me excited. Mm. Well said. And how about you, Justin? Yeah, I'm in uh, agreement with Michael and Erica. I think the sheer opportunity ahead of us is amazing. And I do not think it's fully sunk in yet just how monumental the level of investment the U.S. is making in clean energy and decarbonization truly is. Uh, but what I'm really excited about, and Michael touched on this a little bit, is just the holistic focus of these bills. There's been a ton of excitement for decarbonization, uh, and the government could have stopped there. But exciting for me is the focus on environmental justice and making disadvantaged communities, whether it's historically underserved communities or what the administration has called energy communities, those that are negatively impacted by the transition away from fossil fuels, stakeholders and the projects that will come out of this funding, uh, grants or loan opportunities. Excited that the next energy transition will be an equitable one, and that is exciting for me. Completely agree with that. Uh, I'll chime in on one really minute uh, aspect of these bills. Uh, in that, in the homes program, there's a provision to demonstrate compliance through modeled, which we've done in the past, but also measured savings. And I think that that's uh, signaling how far we've been able to come as an industry that we could now actually you know, monitor and measure savings, uh, presumably at the meter. Some of the details are still being worked out, but um, pretty cool stuff. Absolutely. And I feel like there's such energy under under our wings right now. Um, literally, right? Like it's just, it's so exciting. And after being in this industry, as long as I've been in this industry, it's nice to still be uh, excited about what's to come. So with that, what a great way to set the tone for what we're doing today. And that is, I wish we had a drum roll, predictions. <laughs> <laughs> Since we only have 30 minutes and now we're, you know, even less than 30 minutes, we're going to narrow in on two top categories today, um, but they're packed. So let's go ahead and get started. So category one, grants, tax credits, and direct payments. Justin, go. So my prediction is maybe going to be hard to measure by the end of the year, but I think we'll see uh, a lot of utilities caught off guard this year by the sheer amount of funding and financial assistance that is going 
not to the utility directly, but to their customers through state programs, local governments, uh, nonprofits, and other players. And I think this presents two risks. One, the unintended grid impacts it will cause. All of a sudden, entities other than the utility are going to have a ton of funding and begin making decisions that will affect the distribution level load on the grid. This could be funding for projects to electrify fleets, build microgrids, develop and run electrification or energy efficiency programs at a county or city level. And utilities are going to have to begin reckoning with that and, and, and understanding what's going on in their territory. Secondly, there is a risk for utilities, especially those that have spent more than a decade building strong relationships with customers through their you know, energy efficiency or other benefit programs. There's a risk that these utilities will become disintermediated from their customers. Uh, for, for more than a decade, uh, utilities have primarily been the primary uh, resource for, for residents and businesses uh, for information on energy efficiency or clean energy. Um, I think that the utilities that are going to be most successful in overcoming some of these risks will share common tactics and strategies. One, you know, they'll begin more, more collaboration with community organizations, local government departments, and community leaders to begin establishing themselves as a partner uh, for energy solutions uh, that will be implemented within communities. Uh, second, I think um, successful utilities will take a active role in promoting customer engagement and um, really understanding uh, how what the customer's experience is going to be as they navigate all these different programs. You know, this might include increase in communications to customers through their existing channels, but it also could be a more robust approach uh, like account-based marketing. Um, uh, and then the third is, uh, you know, just hosting more events and workshops within the communities and being more transparent to the communities and providing them with the information and resources um, uh, that'll make them successful. Uh, any any discussion or should we just move right on to Erica? I don't I I maybe I'm biased because I'm up here in a state that's, you know, still vertically integrated. We don't do community choice aggregation or anything like that. But I find it a little hard to believe that at a time when we're putting so much more on the grid, we're really going to be de-emphasizing the centrality of a utility, right? Like the idea that customers are going to be turning to somebody else and somebody else is going to be the expert on the grid, is going to be their energy solutions provider. I'm not sure I totally buy that that's possible at the same time that we're trying to electrify everything, be much more sophisticated in the timing of energy use. Like, it seems like the utility has to be central to all of that. I don't know. Am I... I think I that that is an ideal, <laughs> I would argue that most people don't care what the impacts on the grid yeah. and the decisions they're making in their home or for their businesses, right? And so you're going to all of a sudden have different entities giving them solutions and funding for things, and they're not going to be talking to the utility about that. We're seeing mm -hmm. some of that come up with utilities concerned about fleet strategy for electrification uh, and commercial entities just uh, electrifying their own fleets without consulting the utility and what that means at the at the distribution level for the load that that will uh, uh, bring to right. the grid. So right. I, I see it's, what you're saying. I think it should be centralized, but I, I think I just look back to 10 years ago when Airbnb and Uber and all these other apps kind of disrupted everything and in and, and regulated areas. And I think while the utility industry, it's a lot harder to disrupt, uh, they should be um, actively kind of trying to uh, uh, 
I guess, engage and, and you know, engage with communities, engage with others that, that will be doing things on their grid, my perspective. Certainly want the utilities informed of what's happening, right? From from a planning perspective, as you said, if if some of this money starts impacting the grid and the utilities aren't aware of it, that's not going to be good. To the degree that they're central to everything, I I, I think you're right. I don't think they're going to be um, just because there, there's money going to too many other places. It, and the utilities are getting very little of it. So I don't know, it's going to be a balancing act. Mike, you had something you were going to. I was just going to ask the question. When was the last time anyone here took a taxi? Oh, I still do sometimes, like still do. a couple of weeks ago, because they're right there at the airport and you have to call the Uber and wait. So if it's like late at night, I take the taxi. But other than that, I'm with you. I don't take taxis very much anymore. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, that's sort of an example of like, you know, there is a role to play. Uh, it may not necessarily be the only option anymore. Uh, and there, in many cases, may be better options. Uh, and uh, and I, I would say, Erica, I would agree. Um, you know, utilities, I think, have an opportunity to up their game. Uh, will all of them step up to that opportunity? Uh, and will all of them seize that opportunity in the same way? Um, I, I, I think it's going to be a mixed bag, um, and, uh, and I think it'll be difficult to predict, um, but I will make, I'm going to go out there on a limb. I'm going to say that there are going to be winners that do it well, uh, and there will be losers that stumble along the way. Um, you know, for better or for worse, uh, we have set up ourselves with a, uh, you know, a, a, a private sector utility uh, a way of doing things here in this country. And what that really means is that, you know, there is risk and there is reward. Um, and the ones that, uh, you know, uh, are rewarded are the ones that do it well, but you always run that risk of stumbling and maybe falling flat on your face. All right. Well, we're going to come back around at the end of the year and check back on these predictions. So stand by audience. Well, I All just right, have Erica? to. I just have to. I just have to throw in uh, the last uh, public sector transportation that I took was a tuk tuk. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very private sector, uh, very entrepreneurial. And, uh, oh my goodness, I love it. That's great. Okay, Erica, um, we're on category grants, tax credits, and direct payments. Go. So my prediction here is that you're going to have. In 2023, you're going to have more utility commissions, more regulators asking utilities where the money is and wanting to see very specifically how money from grants, money from tax credits, money from these two acts is, is benefiting their constituents in the state. And I feel pretty safe in this. This is maybe not this is not a reach because it's already happening. <laughs> so, you know, in Florida, you already have the utilities putting in filings saying we think we're going to get so much back in tax credits. We're going to lower rates. You have the utilities in Michigan putting in very detailed filings about the grant opportunities they're chasing, when applications open up, what they're going for and for what projects. I think you're going to see more states seeing those examples and wanting to see those specific benefits flowing to them. Paraphrase uh, from Jerry Maguire, show me the money, right? very classic what commissions are for right bringing down costs it's like their their core mission from back in the day it's i mean it's not bad strategy right and i don't see any fault with it do you guys no i think it's more i it's a maybe a warning for those of the utilities maybe listening to this that that aren't super clear on what they're doing 
are putting off figuring this out because you know that it's not not clear whose job it is at the utility to think this through you you need someone to think you need to assign this to somebody this needs to be somebody's job you need to have a specific plan you need to have answers to the questions about what you're doing with this money um, when your regulators start asking yep. Is that layer on a role that somebody already has that you would recommend or gosh i mean it's going to be different at every utility mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, definitely think it is, it's going to include your unbiased regulatory folks are going to be mm -hmm. in there and they're going to have they're the ones who are going to get the questions. If, you, if you're flat footed and have no plan, they're the ones who are going to be mm -hmm. scrambling to help them out, uh, be ready. But in terms of what grants to actually go for, what tax credits are going to do, you know, that's all going to be with your operations folks. They're the ones who are going to think through what is most beneficial for you, what fits into your system. I know, Mike, you're from utility, too. What is. What do you think? Who who has that job? That's a great question. Um, I, I I think it you know it depends on how big your utility is, uh, and it depends on uh, how proactive it you know your utility is, as well as how proactive your commission is. Um, you know, not not every commission is going to be uh, you know uh, uh, as as engaged in terms of you know asking the hard questions. Um, I hope more of them do. Um, uh, and then uh, you know the utilities, um, not all of them are set up to to really sort of pounce on opportunities uh, and many that are going to be reactive. Uh, I hope fewer of them are. Is this a workforce development area? I would argue everything is a workforce development area mm -hmm. in the utility world these days. Uh, exactly. The, 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 the silver wave is big and it's real. Um, yeah. But um, I think this is, you know, from an from an opportunity point of view, um, you know, it's a really kind of uh, exciting new area for uh, folks who are, you know, wanting to become part of the energy transition, wanting to become part of this climate revolution for them to get engaged. All right. Okay, so moving on, still category one, grants, tax credits, and direct payments. Mike, go. Mine's short and sweet. Uh, I live here in the Pacific Northwest, um, and uh, and uh, in this part of the country, there's a lot of consumer-owned utilities. Um, for lack of a better way of saying it, uh, most of you know big energy policy initiatives in you know my lifetime um, have been ones that have kind of overlooked uh, the public power uh, sector, as they call it, uh, or consumer-owned power sector. Um, and I think uh, because of Uncle Bill and Uncle Ira, um, for the first time in a long time, uh, you know, publicly owned utilities or consumer owned utilities, uh, they're seen, they feel seen uh, because this direct payments mechanism that's part of the bipartisan infrastructure law uh, lets them take advantage of uh, the benefits of the tax credits uh, that have always gone out to the privately uh, owned uh, or, or publicly traded um, uh, entities out there. So I think we're going to start to see the beginning of, you know, consumer owned utilities becoming active players in the space of being asset owners, asset operators for renewable power, energy infrastructure or energy storage infrastructure. Um, you know, they're going to be in the game. They're not just going to be contracting with third parties anymore. They're going to, I think, become uh, active in the uh, owning and operating space. And I think that's a great thing. Awesome. Great, great prediction. All right, we're running short on time. So let's jump to category two, which is resiliency, grid modernization and industry in flux. So we're going to reverse order here. Mike, go. Yes, uh, so we're putting a lot of eggs in one basket when it comes to the grid, uh, and that's a good thing because the grid is going to be the straightest shot we have at a clean energy future. Uh, electricity is carbon free at the point of consumption, and we can make it more and more carbon free uh, as we uh, work our way upstream. Uh, but at the same time we're doing this, we're going to be, uh, you know, we have to be honest, uh, the grid is pretty dependent uh, on, uh, you know, uh, a lot of things. Uh, climate, weather, uh, disasters, uh, cyber 
you know, warfare that's happening in nation state levels. Uh, domestic terrorism is a thing these days. Uh, and all of these present, cha present challenges uh, to the grid that we're depending on. So we're going to have to, uh, and this is maybe more of a New Year's resolution than a New Year's prediction, uh, we're going to have to do a good job of connecting the dots between things like broadband communication, uh, cybersecurity investments, uh, grid modernization uh, technologies, so that we can make sure that the grid that we're going to depend on more and more um, is augmented in ways that improve its reliability, enhance its resilience, uh, and augment its security, uh, because we're going to be needing uh, that grid to be up more and more. And we're seeing crazy stuff, right? People shooting at substations. Like, oh, I wouldn't have imagined that last year. Or yeah, there's a lot of things that we yeah. couldn't have imagined that have happened and are happening. Um, and uh, and I think we, you know, uh, being prepared uh, is is the best thing that we can do. But the good news is, is that there's so much opportunity as we not just rebuild the electric power grid, uh, but we reinvent it, uh, reimagine it. Uh, and do it using tools today that didn't exist when we built it the first time 100 years ago. Yep, I like that. Cool. All right, Justin, go. Uh, mine's a little shorter this time, which is, I think, good. <laughs> uh, uh, so I think it's no secret that IRA and I and and Ira and Bill will say, to use Mike Mike's terms. Uh, will accelerate radical changes to the grid, um, rise of intermittent supply, increase in load from electrification of uh, buildings and vehicles, improvements in resiliency, uh, et cetera. I think my prediction here is that the utilities who will be most successful in the next five to 10 years are the ones that are going to change either how they're organized and or how they purchase uh, and think about projects together. I think success in a decarbonized energy landscape will require coordination across various departments that have traditionally been siloed in utilities. Uh, for exam example, transmission and distribution teams or demand side management and electrification teams is that uh, and utilities must begin breaking down their own internal silos to create more flexible and agile teams that can adjust to the uncertainty that's gonna that we're gonna see over the next couple of years. And then I also think that the most successful leaders at utilities will begin to see themselves uh, as connectors, ensuring that the right parts of the organization are aligned and working to get together to achieve the utilities goals, the state's goals, and to drive value for both their shareholders and for stakeholders in the communities they serve. Yep. Breaking we down heard that. silos. Yeah. yeah, we heard that from Nathan last year, right? Nathan Mori yep. from SRP talking about being put in a room with all these various leaders from the different parts of the organization to do exactly that. So definitely a trend and they are a municipal. So yeah, uh, yeah just interesting. A, and that was a huge commitment just to hearken like they, you know, took some really high up people in the company away from their day to day jobs for a significant amount of time. So yeah. it's this is not an easy thing that could be done in a retreat weekend, I think. Right. And as I remember that story, they weren't just put in a room, they were locked in that room. Like they were, mm -hmm. you know, taken off the grid uh, for all intents and purposes, <laughs> yeah. which is about what it takes to break through these silos because they have been rebar reinforced over the decades that we've built up this system. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's going to take a lot to, to punch through them. Yeah. yeah, and they had an accountability feedback loop as well. So, you know, they, they are still reporting on um, how they're succeeding according to what came out of those, those times together. So yeah, good role model there. Okay, thank you. So, Erica, go. Oh, yeah, it's mine. Uh, so, mine is maybe a little more micro than some of these things, but it's 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 something I pay a lot of attention to. I think you're going to see more pressure 
on states that have not figured out what they're doing with building electrification. You still have states that are struggling with, you know, how do we manage building electrification given that, you know, traditionally energy efficiency has been about reducing load. How do we, you know, fix our regulatory structures, our incentive structures to move forward with building electrification? And I think that there's already been a lot of pressure on that. There's already been states that have been working to figure this out in recent years. Minnesota, my home state, has been doing a lot of work. California, New York, Colorado, you've got a lot of states that have been looking at this, but you have a bunch of states that have been putting it off. And <laughs> I'm thinking of New Jersey, I'm thinking of Michigan, I'm thinking of Pennsylvania, and IRA in particular is gonna put pressure on that relationship because it is, even if the utilities aren't doing it, someone is gonna be pursuing building electrification. There are gonna be rebates flowing to customers. So I think the states need to need to figure out what they're doing. And I think you're gonna hear a conversation about that in the next year. Are you, are you predicting that uh, uh, moratoriums on fuel switching are going to go away and that will be allowed? I think in some states. Um, I, I think that I don't I don't want to I want to call out particular states, maybe, but I do think there are some states where uh, that is where it's heading. I think there are other states where you're going to the question is going to get raised and they're going to entrench in their positions, you know, you know, states that are gas producing for example, may be not be interested in, in breaching this uh, traditional barrier to energy efficiency. But I think we're going to have a lot of conversations about it in 23. And I'll go ahead and predict at least one state will further enable building electrification or break down the barriers to building electrification energy efficiency. So we'll have a prediction you can call me on if it doesn't happen. Do you For my part, I'm excited. I'm excited to see uh, that, um, you know, uh, not just states, but like even at the local level, uh, that building uh, code uh, uh, starts to transform. I hope uh, you know you're the, the the energy star next gen uh, stuff uh, that really kind of gets into that intersection of the appliance and and the building you know uh, envelope itself. Um, I think you know creates opportunities. I don't know if we're going to see you know big waves this year, uh, but I hope we start to see the ripples uh, that turn into those waves in the future. I think for sure that's going to happen. I I would I'm putting it in 24 though, in my mind. But yeah, I agree. Just Did you give the so state, Erica? I'm not. I'm not going to give you the state because <laughs> I have. I have to hedge a little bit. But I got a couple states in mind. I think could both go. So I think uh, at least one of them will. <laughs> all right, we try. Give us a hint. First letter, Erica. No, no, I won't call it out. <laughs> Freak out the utilities there. <laughs> Justin, did we cut you off on something or? No, I think that was it. Uh, I do want to just one more example on on the original point I brought up because I think it's better than the Uber or Lyft is, you know, when Aura came out, all of a sudden solar developers were going nuts, right? And that really affected utilities and net metering stuff started coming up. Some people, some utilities prevented net metering. It was a whole thing. I think this is going to be like that on steroids for the yeah. the the money going to local entities. But yeah. we don't have to include that. I think that's a valid I just want to make the point. <laughs> I think that's a valid point. So, well, thank you all. Uh, those are some super good predictions. We will have to uh, see how they play out. Uh, very, very uh, curious to see how, how they track. Um, check out our latest paper outlining five actions for utilities to prepare uh, for the IRA impacts. We'll provide a link to it on the podcast page. 
And if you've enjoyed listening to this conversation, we'd sure appreciate you liking, sharing, and even subscribing to our podcast. And thank you guys so much for being part of this. What a way to kick off the new year. Wow. And just uh, let's put a placeholder down for December and have you back and, and see how our crystal balls fared. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and in the meantime, thanks so much to our audience for listening. And we look forward to you tuning into our next Energy in 30. Bye.